The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, June 16th, 2017. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Helmut Kohl, one of my favorite leaders of the world in terms of names to say. Helmut Kohl was really a giant. Actually, he was like 6'4 and weighed 300 pounds at one point, so kind of a giant. Helmut Kohl has died, and uh, the uh, Agence France Press, you know, the French and the Germans, the French, they're always finding a way to get at the Germans. So here's the third paragraph of their obituary of Helmut Kohl. And they do note he's the longest serving post-war leader and he sees the chance to reunite his country after years of Cold War. But here's what it says. When a 52-year-old Kohl, whose surname means cabbage in German, first became chancellor of West Germany in 1982, the six foot four inch provincial conservative with the penchant for rustic pork dishes was the butt of countless food jokes. You, ha- you have to really note that his last name meant cabbage in German up top in his obituary. Has this happened or is this what's going to happen to our leaders in the German papers if we let the French take control? Ronald Reagan, whose surname means Strahlenpistol, George Bush whose last name means Bush, but without the C. But most important to me, and my love of Helmut Kohl, wasn't that the Kohl in Helmut Kohl meant cabbage. It was that the Helmut meant Helmet. His name is Helmet. That is awesome. Of all the pieces of a suit of armor, it really is the only one that is an embarrassing first name. The others could be Weatherman or Stars of Romance novel. Here are the quadruplets. Have you met them? There's Gauntlet. You know Gauntlet Cole. He's on the cover of the latest Bodice Ripper. There's Breastplate Cole. He's a weatherman. There's Shield Cole. He's a special agent. Oh, and this is their brother. He's a little slow. His name's Helmet. We think he's going to be known more by his last name. Cole. It means cabbage, you know. On the show today, in the spiel, I talk about comity in Congress and how reasonable or even worthy a goal that is. And there'll also be a bonus segment for you Slate Plus subscribers. We call it a not bat. If you don't subscribe to Slate Plus, get on your horse and do so. Free trials are available. But first, there is a movie, which debuts on Netflix on June 28th, about a South Korean girl who raises a massive but adorable pig named Okja. But when the head of the corporation that owns Okja, and she's played by Tilda Swinton, so you know she's going to be kooky, which comes to claim the pig with your dinner plate as destination, the girl springs into action. The director of Okja is Bong Joon-ho, who makes genre movies like Snowpiercer, but he turns them interesting and high-minded. He's done it again with the help of his co-screenwriter, John Ronson, who is in to talk about how much this big pig means. In a world beset by some hunger and pigs of normal size, a multinational company lights upon an idea. Let us breed prize piglets around the world. Watch them grow to an amazing girth. Stage a reality show type composition here. I'll just let Tilda Swinton, CEO of the Miranda Corporation, tell us where the plans go from there. Our super pigs will not only be big and beautiful, they will also leave a minimal footprint on the environment, consume less feed, and produce less excretions. And most importantly, 
need to taste fucking good. Okja is directed by Bong Joon-ho of Snowpiercer fame. Tilda Swinton was in that too. And it's written by Bong Joon-ho and John Ronson. John Ronson's been here before. He was, I think, talking about So You've Been Shamed. He's also written The Psychopath Test and Them, Adventures with Extremists, The Men Who Stare at Goats. He, he wrote this movie along with the director. Hello, John. Thanks hey, for coming Hey, Mike. It's good to be back. It, was this movie, and it's a, it's a Netflix movie, was this meant to be an, a movie primarily for American audiences, Korean audiences, a little bit of both? I think a bit of, a bit of everything. We're not going to stop anyone from watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Both. I mean, Bong is is huge in Korea. Bong is like Korea Steven Spielberg. But his films are getting increasingly popular in, in the Western world, too. And I, so I think Okja was designed to, to be loved by all continents. Because I was looking at the demographics. And so there are, I think, 80 million South Koreans and... There are 320 million Americans, but there are many more American movies. A movie by Bong is a huge event in Korea. Average ticket price is less in Korea. But I was wondering if the built-in Korean audience sort of gave everyone uh, ballast or no matter what happens is going to be at least successful because the Koreans will love love it. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. I think, I'm, You know, years ago, I made this documentary about Stanley Kubrick called Stanley Kubrick's Boxes. And, and I interviewed this business affairs uh, manager, Warner Brothers. And I told him, like off camera, um, I said to him, I'm going to try and write screenplays one day. And he said, what are you going to do? <laughs> He's like, it's got a gruff old English Was man. he chopping a cigar? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He said, here's something that you need to know about films. He said, no film ever gets made. <laughs> and that was it. And so uh, and I, it's always stayed with me because it's, he's basically right. No film ever gets made. There always has to be a reason. And the reason I think is more than a good screenplay because there's a lot of good screenplays out there. Yeah. Cinema is filled with talented, ambitious people chasing not much work. So as a consequence, like I think you always need a good screenplay and you need something else. You need like an A-list actor. The reason why my movie Frank got got made was because Michael Fassbender uh, got involved. And and the reason why The Men Stare at Goats got made was because George Clooney got involved. So I do think with Oakja, you know, it's a fantastically mad film of like huge tonal shifts. Uh, one minute, it's like a kind of amazing popcorn movie. The next minute, it's incredibly devastating. This is the kind of film that like a big studio like Universal would, would have like, you know, balked at. But it got made. And the reason why it got made, I think, is because Netflix could see that, you know, somebody like Bong, who has this kind of huge ready-made Korean audience, that was like... Enough. So and then, Bong is your George Clooney in this analogy. I, I mean, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal's in it, and and Paul Dano's in it, and, and Tilda. And, Tilda, they're yeah. big actors, but it's Bong and yeah, I, hold on the Koreans. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Is it a is it a Koreans take on what an American is like? I think that maybe Tilda Swinton. It's not as if an American couldn't and hasn't drawn that sort of picture of the out-of-control, egotistical CEO who doesn't believe in anything but the profit. And yet, I wonder if this was sort of. Uh, Koreans version of what a stereotypical American CEO would be like? I think that's a really interesting question because, I mean, the reason why Bung asked me to co-write the film with him was because he did the same thing with Snowpiercer. Mm -hmm. he, he, he wrote the first draft in Korean and then asked an English-speaking writer to collaborate on subsequent drafts and, and look especially at the English-speaking characters. So actually, much of 
Tilda's characterization in the movie came came for me. I mean, that was that was like my my job was to make Tilda's character and Jake's character and the Animal Liberation Front, Paul Dano, and yeah. so on, to to give them characterization. But I do think I was like I was kind of in service to Bong. Like I wasn't, you know, it wasn't my job, and I wouldn't have wanted to like try and overwhelm his voice with my voice uh, because I think his the first draft was so brilliant it was like amazing what, what I'd read so I think what I was trying to do was kind of kind of trying to say say things that don't sound too American I, I wanted to try to like honor his vision yes as long as it was organic <laughs> right? uh, with with my own voice um, I understand so so I'd say that Tilda's character is sort of my characterization through his prism but also there were Korean aspects to her character in that, you know, in Korean, the chai balls, the family-run businesses, which literally build buildings that collapse and kill people, and there are horrible things associated with them. There's a bit of that going on. It's a family business. She makes reference to all the horror that it yeah. has done in the past. But that happens over here, too. Yeah, that, that's true. These sort of companies that, that, you know, that do some kind of ethical things and then some really dark things. He's, so that happens over here, too. So our Mirando Corporation, which is like Tilda's company, um, in the movie, like Grandpa Mirando was like a terrible man. He ran factories where people died, uh, you know, mining and so on. And then it became like an agrochemical company where they did terrible things. And um, Lucy Mirando's Tilda's father took over the company. And then her sister took over the company and she polluted a lake so badly she she put so much toxic waste into a lake called moose lake that it exploded uh, the only lake ever to explode <laughs> um well i think in real life a few lakes have exploded so, well, rivers have caught yeah, on fire that yeah, river so in cleveland yeah, caught on fire, right? and then um and then lucy gets to take over the company and that's when the movie starts. Lucy takes over the company and she wants to do things differently. She wants to do things more Tony Blair-like. Uh, that's a good analogy. Yeah. She's triangulating. She's going middle path. Yeah. She's because Blair. she really is satisfying the capitalists who are shareholders, but she has this public face that she's softer and gentler. Yes. Um, it's funny. People are drawing allusions now to Ivanka Trump. Um, oh, sure. But when we first started writing the film, Ivanka was wasn't a kind of wasn't in anybody's consciousness this was like in 2014 uh and it was blair me, me and tilda would have conversations about blair a lot that's awesome yeah yeah uh tilda swinton gives a speech she lays out the entire plot of the movie that is called exposition and it's not disguised exposition it's not really done in a i would say structurally brilliant way it's just that the execution of it we enjoy being with her it seems like a fascinating idea when we're done six minutes in we got everything we needed it's quite a writerly accomplishment i'm just at wondering if you could tell me um how that came about how much did he write pretty long for a bit of exposition? Was that at all a discussion? I mean, I was just impressed by it. Yeah, and, and it was even longer. It, it, now in the film, it's probably about five or six minutes. Mm -hmm. But at, at one point, I think it was like 12 minutes. It was really long. Um, yeah, I mean, it took us a long time. So Bong wrote the first um, the first draft of it with the, with the main points, that sort of informational points that we had to hit um, about, you know, the world is running out of food, 
I have created a new, so, you know, I've created a new type of miracle food and we're going to launch a, a kind of initiative where these pigs will get to, you know, so, so, so Bong laid all of those things out in the first draft and then I started to, to hone it and I was thinking, well, what does this look like? What's it like? And I was kind of reminded of, um, I've been to TED a couple of times. I decided to to make it yep. like a TED tour. <laughs> yep. Um, so that kind of fervor. Yeah. That kind of uh, unquestioning audience. There was a particular TED talk of a woman, uh, and I was in the audience. She was called Regina Duggan, and she was the head of DARPA. You know, the, the military people who make the exotic weapons. And I was in the audience when she gave a TED talk, and she comes out looking like Steve Jobs in a black turtleneck, and her first words were. Um, uh, be nice to nerds. And then she produces this robot hummingbird and it, fly, it flew above our heads. And she was so graceful and so kind of impeccable. And Bog actually describes Lucy Mirando as being kind of graceful, like a, like a figure skater. And I think it was that description that made me remember Regina Duggan, who was basically had produced this robot hummingbird that was designed to lie target and kill people and we were all like gasping and in awe at this thing which was beautiful matt is the first ever hummingbird pilot <laughs> failure is part of creating new and amazing things we cannot both fear failure and make amazing new things if we haven't summarized the plot enough, we did play that clip. Uh, this is a program to breed pigs. And she doesn't lie about the purpose of the breeding of pigs. Yeah, and she that's is. really interesting because when I, I first met Bong, that line in, was in Pong's draft of the screenplay. Like, most importantly of all, they need to taste fucking good. And I, I said to Bong, I don't think we should have that line in there. Like, would she be that? open and honest mm -hmm. about it and and bong was like adamant you know yes and i think he was right what's so amazing about this film is that she's very open about what she's planning and the fact is she can be open because in real life i mean okja is kind of like a magical realism movie of these magical animals yeah being. life of pi or, yeah, yeah exactly but in real life you know pigs are just as adorable as dogs um but we pretend to ourselves that they're not so we could eat them because they're so tasty. So actually, we know, you know, so so that's why I think I've, I've thought a lot about that line being in the film. And I think Bong was absolutely right for that reason. Well, I thought a lot during the film just about the idea of charismatic megafauna. And in fact, I was thinking about, is there any kind of megafauna that's not charismatic? Maybe the giant squid. But right. once they get big enough and they have large enough features, we go, ah, oh, all yeah. of them, even hippos, which are really deadly. And so therefore, yeah. once you make Okja so big and so charming, you can't help but the audience falls in love with him. And yet as the writer, that's all out. Of, you could write whatever. If those special effects don't make you go, ah, oh, you, you, you have no movie. Yeah. And you know what? It's, it's some, I noticed somebody tweeting, like, when when the trailer came out, someone tweeted, like, why would Miranda want to make a, an animal that's really tasty, also really adorable looking? Right. But then underneath people, I say, well, what about pigs? Like, yeah. they're all, everything that we eat is adorable. Pigs are chickens. Are, well, chickens less than pigs, but still, you know, they're yeah, all, the, all the mammals. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, we, we cuddle our dogs and we eat our pigs. And, and it's the truth. And so what I think this movie is about, and I think the reason why, you know, 
why I'm so glad that Bong asked me to co-write this with him is because I think, you know, ultimately it's a it's a kind of popcorn movie about cognitive dissonance, about mm-hmm. how we, we to eat the meat, we have to block out the thought of the slaughterhouse. And everyone who watches the movie who will be wrapped up in the movie, I would say 80-something percent of them, I haven't seen the demographic of the Netflix user, will then go and eat some meat right yeah. afterwards. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, luckily, I'd stopped eating meat just before I started writing uh. the film. Which I should say, by the way, this is not an issues film. It's, it's as, I see this as like a kind of spirited away type I movie. think it's an issues film in that it raises, it doesn't force the issues on you, but mm-hmm. because it's good, it makes there. you think about these things tangentially. Maybe in the same way that when you watch Spirited Away, there's something kind of creepy about the, the way the little girl ends up working in this place where she has to wash big men um and this is sort of similar it's the girl who watched big men yeah so it's like there is a sort of creepiness uh it's unsettling but it's just as much about the kind of beauty as as i think uh, spirited away is i would i would recommend you watch the first six minutes and see if you want to keep watching it's a great short film and then of course later on a giant pig wrecks a department store who who wouldn't stay for that john ronson (laughs) along with bong joon ho is the uh writer of Okja. Bong Joon-ho directed it. This is available on Netflix. John Ronson, thank you for coming in. Mike, it's great to be back. And now the spiel. Matt Micah, the lobbyist who was seriously wounded in the Alexandria, Virginia shooting of the congressional baseball Republican team, has been upgraded to serious condition. He also signed the game ball that was used in the actual baseball game, which took place yesterday. And today, doctors in Washington gave a press conference about the health of Representative Steve Scalise. He will be in the hospital for weeks, but, quote, excellent recovery is a good possibility. The same cannot be said for comity and a positive working relationship in the halls of Congress. This is a fact I'm supposed to bemoan as a member of the media who says, why can't we all get along? Listen to Charlie Rose's question to Senator Elizabeth Warren on today's CBS This Morning. Uh, Let me ask for the broad question about what has happened in Washington in Mm -hmm. terms of the attack, as well as what happened at the game last night. Is it possible? Is it likely Mm -hmm. that somehow something very positive can come out of this? Well, it is always possible. We are human beings, and this is this is what we hope for. And it is our job in Washington, Republican and Democrat and Independent. We are supposed to be there to try to make this a better country. So what will you do? Well, I'm going to stay in the fight I'm in, and that is to try to make this government work better for middle-class families, for working-class families, for the working poor, for everybody who just needs a chance to get ahead. It's fair answer to an understandable but naive question. Not just naive, we're not exactly naive. Off the point. After the shooting, Representative Joe Barton, who was on the field at that moment, evoked a similar kind of bipartisanship. I was uh, chairman of the Energy and Commerce Committee, and Jack got as many presents from the Democrats as he did from the Republicans. Um, And he still has some of those. And 10-year-old Jack was, by the way, at the practice when the shooting happened. He and his dad took cover under a car. And just as another data point, two weeks ago, Al Franken was on the show. He was talking to Zoe Chase about an interaction he had with then-Senator Jeff Sessions. Mary Sessions knit 
a blue baby blanket <laughs> for my grandson, my first grandson, our first grandson. You know, that's a really thoughtful thing. And I served yeah. on judiciary with Sessions and kind of liked the cut of my jib because I asked good questions. And then when uh, a few weeks in, Leahy couldn't show up because he had an appropriations thing he had to go to. So he asked me to chair. Mm -hmm. And I got there early. I'm sitting in the, the chairman's chair with the gavel and he comes in he goes well a meteoric rise and i said and well deserved and he laughed and i tend to like people to laugh at anything i say that's very sweet both the baby plank <laughs> yeah and and so we had a friendly relationship so in the wake of this shooting the question has been asked of congress and congress members have been answering in the qualified affirmative can you change the personal nastiness between the parties. Can you cool the passions in America? I say, A, no, and B, it doesn't matter, and C, won't do much for the passions in America. Yes, it's better to view your political rival as a human being and to regard your rival with empathy because that speaks highly of you as a person. But in the world of Congress, one's personal affinity for members of the opposite party has almost nothing to do with the dynamic of governance. We have ideologically sorted parties. It took a while, but Dems are liberal, Republicans are conservative. We have in the House gerrymandered districts, which means the vast majority of representatives don't have to worry about losing their seat to a rival from the other party. Moderation is not in their interest. We have a structure that rewards hyperpartisanship. Lockstep Republican opposition did effectively thwart much of the Obama agenda. The Democrats are trying to do the same with the Trump agenda, not because they're mean, because they're smart. Furthermore, the rules of Congress are such that there might be pieces of legislation that could pass if you get some Republican votes with most Democratic votes, and those bills will never come to a vote because only bills with the majority of the majority supporting them ever come up. It is not weird that the parties are apart, and it would not be that much better if they got along, if they were nice to each other. It seems like it would make a big difference, tone, comportment, or nicety. I mean, that's what everyone's saying here, Scott Detrow on NPR. I think a lot of people who engage in politics view the other party as one-dimensional, driven by the worst possible motivations. And I think what a lot of lawmakers were saying last night was, was they're not going, suddenly going to agree. There is a lot of disagreement on basically every issue right now. Yeah. They were saying, we just need to talk to each other like human beings. Well, what if Republicans and Democrats were nice to each other? Got along great, knitted sheafs of blankets, quilts covering every member's grandkid. But then after that, they tried to write legislation in secret that would take health care away from 23 million people. How important would it be to you if you lost your health care coverage, if the leaders who wrote that got along famously on weekends or were on the same bowling team? All right, so that's the part of the argument that goes, maybe even if they disagree, they could be nice about it. Yeah, sure. I, I say they mostly are, right? They always talk about my good friend on the other side of the aisle. They're mostly not that nasty in public. Doesn't really matter. There is a little tweak of that argument. Remember the one that says if they disagree, they could be nice about it. There's a tweak that says, well, maybe if they're nice about it, they won't disagree as much. I don't think that's true either. I also suspect that the public or members of the public who vote in primaries would punish them for it. And I further suspect that the right-wing blathosphere would enforce codes to prevent much true bone hummy. The left is pretty quick also to call bigotry on Republicans. If you're listening to this, you might say, but they are bigots. Okay, fine. But once you call someone a bigot, they're never going to be your friend. 
And speaking of partisan media, which given the current state of play means everyone who has a Twitter account, I mean, that's where the real vitriol is. Whatever a congressman says, a guy with a gun, eagle, and flag emoji in his avatar, or someone with nasty in their Twitter name is going to be a hundred times worse. There are members of Congress who are sometimes as bad as the right-wing blathosphere, Steve King. In the Senate, Ted Cruz is not so incendiary rhetorically, but he is impossible to deal with legislatively. There's no real equivalent to Steve King or Joe Uli Wilson on the left now that Alan Grayson of Florida is out of office. Some will point to Nancy Pelosi, but she's like Mitch McConnell. They're tough political actors who don't unnecessarily throw bombs, which get in the way of their agenda. Mostly, there is actually this enforced phony comedy in Congress. Like I said, the talk of my good friend on the other side of the aisle, that sort of thing. I mean, it's definitely better than that dirtbag from Illinois, but it's not a solution to the toxic rhetorical environment. It struck me that when Al Franken was on, he talked about the Senate being a village of 100. It's not really a village. And senators always talk about each other as their colleagues, but it's a weird kind of corporation. What corporation do all the co-workers have different bosses? Uh, what corporation do the co-workers have clearly opposite goals? A corporation may disagree about tactics, but GM wants to sell more cars. Whole Food wants to sell more kale. Uber wants to sell more rides and be sexist, but mostly sell rides. Congress is more like an arena. They should get along as much as the Cavaliers and the Warriors get along. They are warriors. And yes, when talking, they have been a bit cavalier. But they're not the root of the angry discourse in America. They're a function of how the system was set up, and they're a symptom of rational incentives. And furthermore, turning anger into gunfire is a huge step. It is not inevitable when a certain level of anger is reached. That's a myth. It's inevitable when a certain level of anger is reached by society's losers who want to feel important and have easy access to a deadly means to feel important. Why can't we all get along? Because we disagree vehemently and live violently. That's it for today's show. Just producer Chris Berube co-wrote a movie with Luke Besson about a pigsty, The Filth Element. Mary Wilson, just producer, and Quentin Tarantino, movie director, have teamed up for their latest effort, I Don't Dig on Swine, a musical fucking funstravaganza. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcast. He's writing a movie with Aaron Sorkin about the intersection of politics and gigantic pigs. Charlie Wilson's boar. The gist, William Goldman and I are getting together for a rewrite of Marathon Man, but this time the Nazi is just trying to force non-kosher products on Dustin Hoffman. Is it trafe? Is it trafe? Oomperu depperu du peru, and thanks for listening.